0: impact investment through real estate that's what the steinbridge group is doing we'll break it all down with its ceo to davis hello everyone this is jabbar young here at the nasdaq market site I'm proud to be joined by Tawan Davis, the CEO of Steinbridge and Bridge Group, a uh, privately held real estate investment and asset management company. Uh, they made a big announcement with us at Forbes BOK okay, uh, only a few months ago, and we're gonna break down another announcement. Um, thanks for joining me, sir. Sure, Happy Black History Month. Well, thank you, Yeah. Same to you. Yeah. So let's start there. Black sure. History Month is easy to say which figure, right, you, you always remember, and I think sure. we, we have the notable ones. I'm gonna say which black business leader in Black History Month stands out when I say oh, I that
1: powerful question. I think that Earl Graves Graves. is a very impactful person given the time in which he emerged. Mm -hmm. Uh, Earl Graves' business grew in the context where that was unusual for African American business leaders. (coughs) And he was talking about business. He was talking about commercial uh, opportunities. He was Mm -hmm. talking about market empowerment. And then his Mm -hmm. business became the defining um uh, black enterprise today remains the defining voice for african americans in business yeah and uh years after his passing people still celebrate that Uh, that uh, black enterprise as a institution and a uh, a media mechanism and it still continues to thrive today. And so I think that he stands out for me as an exceptional leader in in the business
0: world. great. Absolutely. Listen, (coughs) Reginald Lewis, right? Absolutely. Cover May Forbes cover. Absolutely. Um, But the second day of Black History Month, here you are making an announcement, right? A $40 million investment to Virginia Union uh, that is aimed to unlock 100 plus, uh, or 100 real estate, uh, acre real estate that they have uh, on Virginia's uh, north side, uh, Richmond. Um, And this is part of a bigger, larger commitment that you made at the Forrest BLK Summit back in November, thank you for that, 100 million commitment to uh, HBCUs. Let's break down that commitment, the 40 million, which is the first iteration of the 100 million. Mm -hmm. Um, What's it gonna do, what do you anticipate? Break it down for me.
1: Sure, well let me start, thank you for having me, and it's good to be able to chat with you all again. Um, let me start talking a little bit about who we are and what we do. Yeah. So, the Steinbridge Group is an impact investment firm. <clears throat> our goal is to uh, activate real estate as the first mover of impact. Yes. <clears throat> There's been a lot of uh, discussion around what impact investment means uh, and a lot of response, positive and negative, to the idea. Our thought is that impact investment is, in fact, the most keen way to address what is our both. Uh, economic, social, and governmental opportunities and challenges. Yeah. The best business models come from addressing uh, challenges and problems. Yeah. Uh, if you think about today, we don't burn uh, gas, uh, we don't burn oil in order to turn on our, our uh, to get light. Yeah. Right now, electricity solves that problem for mm-hmm. us. It is, in fact, an ESG response. And so our view is that t- some of the best opportunities to have, build strong businesses with a um, a market response are in the impact sector. And so those businesses, we believe, (coughs) also provide outsized returns to investors and opportunities. And so for us, it's not a subsector of uh, business, it's not a subsector of investment, it actually is investment. Investment that has any business strategy that has an impact, we believe, is impact investing. And so uh, our thought, uh, we also believe that there are, um, that private capital needs to address and solve many of these challenges and opportunities. There is a limit to public and sometimes uh, governmental intervention and so the opportunity to provide private solutions, market based solutions to economic, social and governance issues is the very definition of impact investment which is why over the next 10 years people are expecting impact investment to grow to be a 5.2 trillion dollar market and it's one of the fastest growing subsectors of investing today and so our firm Provides real estate opportunities for impact investors uh, in that way.
0: Yeah. When you say impact investors, right? I mean, you, I am I'm curious about the real estate portion of sure. it. But what other sectors, you know, sure. does that fall under?
1: Yeah. A lot of folks think so. So broadly, impact investment <clears throat> is defined in three categories: environmental, social, and governance. And so, if you think of electric cars, are really believe to be an impact investing, green energy, right. environmental. Impact, environmental. So anything that has a positive impact on the environment, <clears throat> anything that solves social issues. So for example, a, a lot of our investing is in the residential space. Right. Why? Is because America is chronically underhoused. Yeah. More than 50% of Americans spend more than 30% of their income on housing. That means that they are a housing burden. Uh, It used to be that it would take um, two years to buy a home after marriage. Now it takes upwards of 11 years to buy a home after marriage. And so Americans are dramatically uh, impacted, even though um, interest rates are at highs that we haven't seen in a generation. That we know that over the last year, home prices are up. Mm -hmm. And so it's making it even harder for people to acquire homes. Basic economics, basic uh, finance would say that uh, the higher the interest rate, the lower the housing prices. Yeah. But in fact, our, uh, you know, housing prices are up anywhere from 6 to 8% despite record high interest rates. And so uh, that, the housing problem, is a social issue that we believe can be addressed with a private capital solution. And the last category is governance. So uh, anything that has to do with international affairs, international law, international conflict, uh, business governance uh, also comes into that area. So ESG, uh, is, uh, is synonymous with impact investment, standing for environmental, social, and governance challenges that uh, can be responded to by private investment. Yeah.
0: And I would think Steinbridge falls under the social exactly. part of that. Right? So
1: much of what we do falls under the S for social impact, and that's where the real estate falls in, and particularly providing uh, uh, attainable housing for working families is where our approach to impact investment emerges. We also are very uh, attentive to the environmental portion, so we uh, focus on opportunities to build uh, in uh, green homes. So we do uh, solar energy, and we try to pay attention to how we source our materials and how we build our communities. And so, you know, our uh, primary focus is probably on the S for the social through real estate, and the second is on the environmental how we build and deliver those homes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. continue <laughs> back right fast to the Virginia Union, sure. You know, that particular investment is forty million, and you're going to develop again these areas that around that particular HBCU. Mm-hmm and I'm assuming building new homes, uh, refurbishing ones that are probably there. If there are there, I haven't seen that area. Is that where this money is gonna be going
1: That's right. So again, when you think of impact investing, one of the ways to think about it is who do you invest with? Where do you actually put the the dollars? There are 100 plus uh, uh, historically black colleges and universities in the United States. Um, And they historically receive 30% less funding than their counterparts. If you uh, put all of their endowments together, they have 1% of the endowments of all of the Ivy Leagues. And so what we're finding is that uh, we uh, thought that there would be an opportunity to direct investment toward these institutions that often are very, very large landowners, but have limited cash and capital resources and opportunities. So partnering with them uh, and to activate their land to economically productive uses. And so this isn't necessarily dorms, this isn't necessarily um, uh, academic housing or other uh, institutional uses. We're trying to identify ways to bring ancillary and additional income to income streams and to increase and bolster their endowments. So the
0: While making the universities the centerpiece of it.
1: Exactly, right. so the universe, by the way, these universities have been the centerpiece of their communities for a generation, for generations. Yeah. <laughs> Most of the historically black colleges were started in the antebellum uh, movement immediately after the uh, the Civil War around 1865. And so they were started to respond to four million uh, freed folks who now needed to be educated. Yeah. And so they were started <coughs> in that uh, era. Uh, Virginia Union University was among the first. In fact, Virginia Union was started as Richmond mm. was being vacated by the Confederacy. Yeah. So in 1865, Jefferson Davis vacated Richmond, uh, headed south as the Union Army uh, came in, set Richmond afire on his way out, and while it was burning, Virginia Union University was started to educate future teachers and ministers in the Virginia area. And so we thought it was very appropriate to start with him as a leader in the um, HBCU movement. Yeah,
0: yeah, and the Steinbridge Group, this is the investment <coughs> firm, this is a build-to-rent strategy, right? And and this the family, rental rehabilitation, you have the urban infill. Break that down for me, the, sure. the, the, the entire strategy, starting with the build-to-rent, because sure. here we're allowing families, right? And society's so strange because on the one hand, there are people out there who would love to own a house, mm-hmm. but then there's a whole new generation out there who may not want to be tied down right. anymore, right? For and sure. so renting is starting to become a little bit more... I think the, the negativity is kind of driving now. Yes, you want to create wealth, and maybe in time you will buy a house, but right right now, when you're in your 20s and your 30s and you're moving around from one to the other, you're renting, and you may not want to be tied down to a mortgage, mm-hmm. especially in this interest environment right now, is that what you're kind of looking at and how sure. you plan on making your <clears> profits? <throat>
1: yeah, so, you know, Virginia Union, again, is a great example. Yeah. They have 100 acres, and we are committing approximately $42 million to activate underutilized assets in that 100-acre ownership. <clears throat> and uh, one of the primary um, primary opportunities is to build homes for rent in that area. So uh, if you take all of American renters, uh, somewhere around up to 63% of renters are actually renting a house, not renting an apartment building. Yeah. So when we think of renters in the United States, we think of apartments, but in yeah. fact Uh, almost two-thirds of renters are actually renting a house, not an apartment building. Uh, Second is that if you take all of the investable asset classes in real estate, single-family rental is the single largest investable asset class. It's about four and a half trillion dollars. Apartments are anywhere from two to three trillion dollars. And so we cannot address uh, um, uh, the overburden of rent, we cannot address affordability, without having a strategy to address uh, single family and built to rent housing. And so that's kind of where we uh, follow the idea is that in order to have a meaningful impact on working families that need places to live, that are overburdened with rent. You actually have to deliver not only apartments, but people are now starting their whole families in rental units, and so we have to deliver homes as well.
0: Yeah, I was in uh, (coughs) Texas, Dallas, Texas, just uh, last week, and I'm driving around the Plano area, because I'm in search of a house too, Tawan, and I'm seeing all I see is lease, 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 and I'm like, Where's the buy? Mm-hmm. I want to buy. And it's lease, lease, lease. And, and I'm assuming it's because people are locked out, but they still want to maybe get oh, right. involved with the housing and not. Maybe that's a, a way to do it. Right. Uh, take it back a little bit, man. You're from Portland, Oregon. You grew up there. I love Portland. I lived there for a year. I covered the Trailblazers for Comcast Sports. Are you a Blazers fan by well, the phone?
1: You know, it's interesting. My family <clears throat> moved to Oregon uh, in the Great Migration. Yeah. So when everyone else went from the South to Detroit to, uh, Philadelphia to New York. My family moved from Arkansas, where we were Mm -hmm. sharecroppers, and we had been slaves in Mississippi, and we moved to Oregon, and they took what I call the L route, so they drove west, west, um, across Texas, yeah. and then up the oh. I-5 corridor right. to, to Portland, Oregon. And we've been there since the 1930s. Uh, yeah. uh, and so uh, I'm a proud Oregon person. People always are there black people in Oregon? Well, we were of, course. Yeah. of course, yeah. Of course there are. Tons yeah. of
0: them. So there, There's not a lot, there's not, not a lot, many, but, you but you know, yeah, and listen, when right. I was up there moving around, I had to get used to it, right? And you have to kind of check yourself sure. and understand that you know this is just what the demographics yeah. are. But I love Portland. I lived in Beaverton. I love Mylonoma Falls, Screen Door, Fire on the Mountain Wings. Don't get me going about Portland, Oregon. I loved when I was there and I saw it way differently. But when Mm -hmm. you were young at 15, you saw it differently. What did you see?
1: Well, it's interesting. I didn't meet anyone whose family and grandparents were from Virginia or South Carolina until I went to college. Everyone I I grew up with, uh, their grandparents were from Arkansas. There's a great book about the great migration called The Warmth of Other Suns. And it tells the story of how African-Americans moved after the First World War from the south to the north, mm-hmm. populating the cities, and there was a great uh, section in the book about uh, Arkansas yeah. and how it moved to the northwest and how people moved in large numbers. And so, for me, I grew up with some remarkable people. Uh, my grandmother, my great-grandmother, probably had an eighth grade education, but when she moved from Arkansas to Oregon, she and her three sisters each bought four or five houses apiece to house the family as they moved north because there were no extended stay opportunities and their hotels were often unwelcoming. Mm. And so they had to house their own families in the migration. And so they basically built the community that we live in today. What is impactful is in fact, generations later, uh, particularly after the 1968 riots, then you had uh, uh, the drug problem of the 70s and 80s, you had gangs in the 80s and 90s and the communities began to deteriorate and so after they built these communities they unfortunately lived to see them deteriorate over time and then what began to happen in my lifetime is the very communities that they built and then deteriorated began to gentrify yeah and so i go home now and my great-great-grandmother's home is worth about a million and a half dollars that she bought for thirty thousand dollars in the 1940s and my family and people around us are beginning to be displaced from the communities that they've lived for generations And so another reason why we are partnering with institutions that are well positioned in these communities is because we're building a bridge to these transitioning neighborhoods so that people aren't necessarily pushed out, that they're not necessarily displaced, but that they can live and work as these neighborhoods transition and benefit from that change.
0: Yeah, I know you were seeing a lot at that age, but what did you want to be at age 15? Because you couldn't have said, I want to to run a private equity investment firm. What did you want to be at 15? I tell the story often
1: about when I asked my grandmother when I was about 14 or 15 years old, my family's deeply religious. There is a scripture where the Bible says, the cattle on a thousand hill belongs to God. And I told my grandmother, I just want one hill. Matter of fact, if you give me one cow, Mm -hmm. I can make a difference. And so for me, I've always had the idea that I wanted to be, um, uh, do something impactful. Um, I wanted to be in business. Uh, I've been asked to run for Congress twice. My father's a minister, my grandfather was a minister, I could have gone that route, but for me, I thought that creating opportunities for people through business would be the way that I would be able to have the most lasting impact. And so, I've been pretty focused. I studied uh, economics in undergrad, I studied went to uh, sociology and economics in grad school, and then went to business school, yeah. kind of in preparation to be able to run a business that I could, uh, build that was both legitimate as an investor, but
0: could also provide an impact. So you know I wanted to make an impact. So no fireman, no basketball player, no police officer, none of that. You just knew it was something you wanted to be impacted. Well,
1: it's interesting. Funny that we are starting with Virginia Union. I was 11 years old, and I remember reading maybe Ebony Magazine, or, yeah. uh, and it was Douglas Wilder was elected the first African-American governor of any state in the United States. He happens to be a Virginia Union alumni. Yeah, um, And so in my life, I have just looked up to figures, uh, Douglas Wilder be, being one of them, that had an impact in ways that were outside of the norm. So I wasn't sure whether it was gonna be a fireman, I wasn't sure whether it was gonna be a minister, congressman, or businessman, but I was always targeted and trying to model my life. Yeah after people that I saw that were having an impact in ways that were outside of the norm. And so that's been my focus.
0: Absolutely, if you had to go back to yourself at business school, what was the best piece of advice oh, that gosh. you received in business school? that
1: everything's gonna be okay. Everything's okay. Yeah, that everything's gonna be okay. I mean, all business, all of our professional careers have their ups and downs. You're gonna have some good days and bad days, some years you're gonna make a, make, uh, do well, some years you're gonna do poorly, you're gonna get some good reviews, and you're gonna have a boss that you can't stand. You gotta stick with it, yeah. um, and you gotta focus, and, uh, and, the, and, the, and that the number one key to success actually isn't skill, um, and it isn't even um, brains. It's actually focus and perseverance. Absolutely. And that is so clear to me today, and all of the young people that I uh, deal with, and I've mentored, I was a, uh, an adjunct professor for some time at NYU, and I tell them all, the number one skill isn't how smart you are, and frankly, it's not even all the time how hard you work, it is focus, and it is perseverance.
0: Focus and perseverance. We've got about three, four minutes left here. I want to get your uh, insight on some macro sure. economic stuff, right? Start with the commercial real estate sector. I mean, this is a sector right now showing signs of trouble. Uh, the, the New York Community Bank uh, took some losses on commercial real estate. Obviously, with the pandemic now, post-pandemic, people aren't going back to work as much, so a lot of commercial real estate, people are concerned about that. you got about $1.2 trillion of commercial mortgages that are scheduled to mature this year, according to Goldman Sachs. Uh, Barry Sternlich of... Uh, of starwood capital he comes out and says i quote the office market is an existential crisis right now um, it's a three trillion asset class that is probably worth 1.8 trillion now there's 1.2 trillion of losses spread somewhere and nobody knows where it is right mm-hmm. there is prediction that this can cause another economic recession what do you see
1: it's interesting <clears throat> when i started the company we actually didn't start in impact investing for real estate Commercial. Uh, We started buying commercial office. Absolutely. Yeah. We bought almost and structured almost one billion dollars worth of uh, office building transactions, including the famed Watergate building that got Nixon in trouble. And so we have considerable experience in the office space. These headwinds existed prior to COVID. Yeah. There were three trends that we noticed. Number one, people were taking more, uh, l- less and less office space, particularly in the major CBD markets, Washington, DC, uh, Baltimore, Boston, uh, New York City, they were taking smaller and smaller footprints. Second, people were working from home more. It was starting with Fridays. It was starting with, you know, mm-hmm. maybe a Monday off. But people, there was a trend of working for home prior to COVID. And third, you have the WeWork phenomenon. WeWork is the most famous example, but these co-working spaces. So what was happening that new businesses and venture-backed firms weren't taking office space. Yeah. Those three trends existed prior to COVID. The combination of COVID, and very high interest rates and the maturity of the debt is accelerating what was already happening in the office space and what frankly has happened around the world in the office space and so our sense is that uh, America like the rest of the world is going to have to figure out how to repurpose some of its major centers this is not just challenging for the office owners. Right. This is challenging for Sprung the restaurant business. owners yeah. and the people and cleaners. The peop- and the cleaners. Yeah. I mean this is a major yeah. this is a major yeah. economic uh, San Francisco is an example, absolutely. right?
0: Detroit was a, a, a gave you something. You That's don't right. need to see a bankrupt city right. and San Francisco's there right. and hopefully they can they can right. get it together. And then if you also think about the tax
1: bases of these cities, a lot, yeah. of, often if, a lot of the city's tax bases are driven by commercial real estate activity, which is true for New York City by the way. Yeah. Much of New York City's tax base is in its commercial activity. Including commercial real estate, not necessarily in its residential uh, uh, tax collection, and so this is going to be a major uh, a challenge, both for municipal funding of schools and of uh, police departments yeah. and fire departments, as well as office. Owners.
0: Yeah, cities might not be in a business, They're not absolutely sh- 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 shedding workers, right? Absolutely. And then you got you know cities that are just empty. That's right. Dan Gilbert has all those buildings downtown Detroit, right? right. And so you know, very interesting. And housing market, right? Fast again, about 143 million homes, I believe. The Correct. the uh, is 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 it's, You need about $200 no, now. What do you do there? Because construction workers aren't building homes. They're too busy building bridges and roads. I know, because it took me a long time to get here, traffic. What do you do when you don't have enough homes being built, but you need them? Well, this is
1: why, again, economics would tell us that high interest rates should bring down housing prices. The inability to supply new homes because of uh, uh, the cost of, of, of inputs, the high cost of labor, and high interest rates is going to continue to skyrocket office, uh, uh, home prices and uh, uh, home building prices despite the a- attempt to manage them through interest rates. And so I think we're facing a real crisis. As you said, 150, 43 uh, housing units in the United States. 84 million single family homes and a quarter of those single family homes are rental units yeah. so a quarter of america is renting a house and those prices are going up and so i think that we just face a real long-term trend with increased housing prices in the united states which is going to make ownership even more difficult particularly because of the combination of those increased prices and high interest
0: rates. yeah get you out of here two things last Forbes be okay. obviously you made that 100 million commitment if you had an audience here who was real estate investors right what would you tell them after what we just said commercial housing is there a play in commercial what would you tell a real estate investor that could be looking for an opportunity you know for yourself? i actually
1: think that the challenges of today's real estate market creates the ideal impact investing opportunity to